Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that you are present with us here today, that you promise to meet us in this place. You have given to us your word, and through your word you speak to us. We thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are humble before your word. I pray that we would be a people who, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would desire in the freedom of the gospel to live in obedience to your word. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to come to a better understanding of your word as we're dealing with the difficult passage today. I pray that you would give to each and every one of us your Holy Spirit and a spirit of discernment. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth be in accord with the truth of your word today. And Lord, I uh, just thank you and I love you uh, for all that you've done for us. And I love you because you have given us this congregation, you've given us these people. And I pray that our love and our encouragement of one another would only increase as we seek to be built up together by your Holy Spirit all of us using our gifts and abilities to further your kingdom in this world. So, Lord, come, speak to our hearts. May your word not only enter our ears, but into our heart and then out of our lives in God-honoring service towards others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with the 26th verse. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone, so that everyone, here's the key, may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Here ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. This is a difficult passage. Especially verses 34 and 35. 
Did any of you sense something kind of tighten up inside of you? (laughs) Uh, When I read those verses, well, we're going to try to unpack these things today. Question today is, how should worship services be conducted? Who may lead the church in worship? Who may offer biblical teaching in the church? And again, the passage I read is a difficult passage. So to help us in our struggle with this passage and similar passages to understand this key principle that scripture interprets scripture. So when we encounter a difficult passage, we need to understand the principle that when we hear a difficult passage, the scripture, there are other uh, passages of scripture within the context of scripture that should help us to interpret that difficult passage. Uh, When one passage is difficult to understand, we need to look at the entire context of the Bible to arrive at an appropriate interpretation of a passage. And I believe that this principle certainly will help us as we unpack this passage today. But even with that principle, Bible scholars, commentators of the Bible have not arrived at at an agreement of what this passage is saying, especially verses 34 and 35. There actually are several different interpretations offered by good Bible teachers. These are Bible scholars who believe in the authority, the infallibility, the inerrancy of Scripture, who do not agree on the interpretation of these verses. So this is a really hard one because not everybody agrees on what this says. Basically, we need to admit that this passage and other passages in the Bible are difficult. They're hard. And we really need the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit in order to arrive at an interpretation and an understanding of what this is talking about. So I think to begin, first of all, we need to understand the context of this passage. We know that this passage deals with public worship services in the church. So this is what Paul is addressing. Public worship within the local congregation. Second, I think that we need to understand that what Paul is saying, much of what Paul is saying, not all of what Paul is saying, but much of what Paul is saying is descriptive and not prescriptive. It describes what worship should have been like in that context in the first century. But not all of it is prescriptive for us. As we read the passage, we we saw that the order of the worship service was much different, not wrong, but much different than how we conduct worship today. So Paul is being descriptive, but not necessarily prescriptive in uh, what he's saying. So I want to give you some timeless guiding principles for us in worship. This will be our first slide. Number one is is this. It actually comes from the, the first chapter of Uh, 1 Corinthians 14. So here are the timeless principles for us here at Maple Park Church. Number one, follow the way of love. We addressed that last week 
when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Follow the way of love. And then Paul says, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And he says, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. And in our passage today, he describes prophecy in verse 31 as that which instructs and that which encourages. So the gift of prophecy is that which instructs us and that which encourages us. It is a word from God. It is a word from Him which gives us instruction in life and which encourages us. So Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The second guiding principle for us is this. Number two, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything that happens in our worship services ought to be done in such a way that people are built up in the faith. And then number three is that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So those are our three guiding principles. Number one, our services are to be centered upon the preaching of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word is at the center. That is, a clear and intelligible message should be proclaimed. Not my message, not man's message. Rather, a message from God that people can hear and understand. That's why Paul says, especially prophecy. I need to hear a word from God. You need to hear a word from God. Did you know that we really can't truly live without a word from God? Jesus said, and the Bible confesses, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we need God's word. What we need is to hear God speak. We need to hear God address us in our brokenness. We need to know and to hear that God cares about us in the midst of the difficulties and the hardships that we face in life. People don't need to hear another message from men. They need to hear the word of God. A word that convicts the heart. A word that mends the brokenhearted. A word that builds up and encourages. Some have said that a true word from God will afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That's a true word from God. A true word from God, I'll say it again, will afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. We should never remain comfortable in our brokenness. We should never remain afflicted in our guilt. That's why the worship services are designed to build up and not tear down. By the clear and intelligible preaching of God's holy demands and His loving forgiveness, the church is built up. We shouldn't tear people down through our preaching. Some preachers believe that they can build up the church 
by tearing people down. They believe that they can encourage the church towards greater obedience by tearing them apart with God's law. And that may be effective in bringing forth a certain kind of obedience by just tearing you down, railing against something that I'm not happy with or something that God's Word reveals about us. I can rail against spiritual malaise. And that may elicit some sort of an obedience within you. But in railing against you and tearing you down, I believe that that will only bring forth the obedience of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were motivated to obedience not by the truth of the gospel, but by the guilt of the law. So the preaching of the Word of God is meant not to tear people down, but to build people up. That we are motivated by the sweet Word of the Gospel. That you are loved. That you are forgiven. That you are gifted with the Holy Spirit. And when we're motivated by the good news of the Gospel, it brings forth an obedience that's joyful. An obedience that brings light to the world. The Pharisees were driven by God's demands. But we're called to be driven by God's love and grace. So, our services are to be centered upon the preaching of the word. They should be designed not to, to build up and not to tear down. And all done in an orderly manner. Our services should be done in such a way that all people can hear and be encouraged and built up in their faith. Next, we need to address the big elephant in the room today. Who may lead in church worship? Who may offer biblical teaching in the church? This brings us to a confusing and apparently contradictory portion of God's word. Let me explain. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but they must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. First, I want to address why this passage is confusing and seems contradictory within the context of Scripture. Here's why. In 1 Corinthians 5.11... Paul says that women in public worship services should pray and prophesy. In public worship services. So he says that women in 1 Corinthians 11.5 are to pray and to prophesy. In other words, they are to participate vocally in the public leadership of the church. But he says that they are to do so with their heads covered as a sign of marital fidelity. And the covering of head is much like a, a wedding ring today. When a woman's head was covered, it signified that she was not available, but that she was married. In other words, women would pray and prophesy in the church in a culturally respectful way. Then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12... 
Paul wrote about spiritual gifts without any gender limitations. He didn't say that the gift of prophecy or of public teaching was limited only to men. Paul said that these gifts are given to both men and women within the church. So the entire body of Christ is gifted by the Holy Spirit without distinction of gender to participate in the leadership of the congregation. So there are women who are gifted to teach, to preach, and to lead. And those roles, which in our culture have been traditionally assigned only to men, are also given to women. So when the Bible instructs us in spiritual gifts, there is no distinction of gender. So what are women to do when they're gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach or to preach? Are they to remain silent in the church? Is it true that all they can do is go home and be subject to their husbands? If they have a question, they can't ask the question in church. They need to go home and ask their husbands. This is a hard one. So I want to try to come to some sort of an understanding of what might be going on in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 through 35. And here, again, you have uh, within Christianity a lot of really good Bible scholars. Bible scholars who believe in the authority, believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture, They believe the Bible, but they arrive at different interpretations of this passage. So this is hard. So let's try to uh, come to some sort of an understanding. The first option is that this is a universal command for all churches in all times. If that's the case, if that's the case, when I teach from the Bible, let's say I'm teaching a Bible study, and we're in the assembly of believers... And somebody, uh, a woman comes up with a question, and uh, she, she would not be allowed to ask me any questions about what I'm saying. I've never been in a church, even in the most conservative churches, where this sort of restriction is enforced. So, there's another option. I don't know about this one, but I'll give you this option. Second option is that women brought their marital disagreements into church. So now let's imagine I'm preaching on a, on a Bible a portion of Scripture. I'm teaching a Bible class. And, and then my wife stands up and she begins to contradict me in what I'm saying. L- let me explain. Let's say I'm, I'm preaching from the Bible, and the Bible tells us that we're to live self-controlled lives. But then she stands up and she says, well, what about you? Why do you raid the refrigerator every night? (laughs) If you're supposed to live a self-controlled life, then why don't you live a self-controlled life? So, many good Bible scholars believe that maybe this is what's going on. That men would stand up and offer a word of instruction, a word of encouragement... And then the wives would stand up in disagreement. In other words, Paul is saying, if you have a marital disagreement, please address that at home. 
Address the marital disagreement at home, not within the, uh, in an inappropriate way in the public assembly of God's people. Okay, a third option, which many sound Bible scholars, people who believe in the infallibility, the inerrancy, the authority of Scripture, says that it's because of a lack of education of women within Roman society. And maybe it's because some women needed more elementary instruction from their husbands at home before they could participate in teaching and sharing God's word. In other words, they were not yet qualified to teach and to preach publicly in the church. And I want you to remember that the principle of this passage is that the word be proclaimed clearly, that everyone be built up and that things be done in an orderly manner. In Paul's day, many women didn't receive the same level of education as men. Probably didn't participate in the marketplace conversations of men. So what Paul is saying is that men need to step up and instruct their wives. Men need to step up and and give to their wives what they need in order that they would then be built up so that they can then exercise their spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. It could be that many of the wives needed to grow and develop their understanding, sharpen their gifts, so that then they would be able to come into the church and instruct the church and the preaching, and the teaching of God's word, so that all would be built up and edified in the whole church. So I don't, I don't believe that this command for women is to be uh, a universal command. I don't think that it's, it's a universal command for all women to be silent in church, and a prohibition for women to speak in church, or even to exercise their gifts within the church. I believe the prohibition is for women to first be instructed. So then they could participate in public proclamation of the word. And that's the the only way I can think to reconcile this apparent contradiction within scripture. We do see women active in ministry in the New Testament. And even leading. This is another reason why this passage is confusing. is because we see women active in the New Testament church. And I have a number of different passages, Alyssa. First one is from Romans 6. Actually, these are all from Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. uh, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Crenceria. A deacon in the church. Someone active in service within the church. And certainly in order to be active in service in the church, she couldn't be mute all the time and remain silent all the time. The next passage is from Romans 16.3. There the Apostle Paul says, Greet Priscilla, who's a woman, and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. So here we see a woman, Priscilla, who was active, vocal in teaching within the church. Romans 16, 7. 
Paul says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among who? Among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. So certainly Junia was involved in the public ministry of the word outstanding among the apostles. Romans 16.12 says, Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perses, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Now we don't know exactly their giftedness or exactly what they were doing within the church. But we do know that the women are gifted by the Holy Spirit equally with men. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 indicates that women prophesy in church. I believe that women played a prominent role in the church. Certainly women did more than just remain silent and mute in church. I believe that they had an active role. So what does this mean for our church? What are the implications for Maple Park Church? Well, first of all, we acknowledge that we are under the authority of a larger church body called the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. We say LB for short. LB stands for Lutheran Brethren. Now, I believe that the LB Theological Council has done a good job of looking at this issue in the Bible. And I believe that they have drafted an excellent statement on this issue. And the LB, our, our Synod, agrees that women should be actively utilizing their gifts in the ministry of the church, including the public teaching of the Word of God. The LB also teaches that the office of ordained ministry belongs only to men. All right, so within the LB, we have this, this uh, statement. Women are allowed to use their gifts, but women may not hold the office of elder or pastor. And I believe that, that the LB has a good biblical argument for restricting the office of elder and pastor to men. So within the LB, women are not allowed to serve as pastors or elders within the church. That's the current position of the church of the Lutheran brethren. But women are allowed to use a variety of gifts within the church. And I'm not saying that, that women are incapable of functioning in ordained ministry. And this is a hard one for me. I was a pastor in a different Lutheran synod before I came here in New York. And within that synod, women were allowed to hold the office of pastor and elder. And I worked with women pastors who ran circles around me. Nothing that they did in their leadership, nothing that they did in their leadership compromised the word of God, or the good order of the church. But as far as I'm concerned, as a Lutheran brethren pastor leading this local congregation, we are under the authority of the Lutheran brethren. 
And because of that, women are not permitted to hold the office of elder or pastor within the LV. But women are uh, uh, permitted to exercise their gifts and their abilities within the church. And one thing that we're doing as a Bible camp board right now is we're choosing our main speaker for 2024. And something that I am excited about is that we have voted unanimously as a camp board for the first time to have our main preacher, our main speaker, be a woman at Bible camp in 2024. So you can be praying for the camp board in this. This is all under the authority and the direction of the LB. That's going to be a historic thing for us in our area. I remember when I was a teenager and we had one service where one woman gave a message and people didn't like that. Things are changing. Things are changing. And here's another guiding principle, and here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So each and every one of us, we come before the Lord. We, we come before Jesus as equals. We all come equally in need of the grace and of the mercy of Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. This concept of one race being superior to another race, of one person in a certain social setting being superior to other people, or of one gender being superior to another gender is not biblical. So why do we strive for equality within society, equality of race, equality of social standing, equality of gender? Do we do this because we're trying to be woke? Do we do this because we're trying to be politically correct? Are we, trying, are we doing this to accommodate society? No. We're doing this because it is a biblical mandate. We're all equal in Christ. Each of us have equally been called to a position of serving one another. Using our gifts. Using our abilities. Not elevating men above women. Not elevating Jew above Gentile. Not elevating the free man above the slave. We're all one in Christ. In Jesus, there's no distinction. There's no rank of ethnicity, socioeconomic standing, or gender. We all come before Jesus as equals. And we enter into the waters of our baptism as sinners. And we come out of the waters of baptism clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. 
We all equally share in the sacrament of holy baptism. And we're all one in Christ. Without distinction of race, social standing, or gender in our Holy Spirit-empowered giftedness. This is all a gift of God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ. We cannot help but give thanks and praise to God for making us one in Jesus. Because of Jesus, we've been rescued from all of the garbage that our world puts on us. All the garbage that our world says to us. That you can't be gifted in this way. That you can't make a difference. That you can't serve God. That you can't lead. The Holy Spirit's rescued us from all that stuff. He's made us equals. One in Christ. Rescued by Jesus. Empowered with the Holy Spirit. To serve one another and to serve a world that knows nothing of the life and the freedom that is ours in Jesus. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give to each and every one of us discernment, the ability to look at Scripture, to be shaped by Scripture rather than to be shaped by church tradition or to be shaped by our culture, but to find in you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And help us to find our way as a congregation. Help us to find our way through, through difficult times. That we would be a church that is not led by me or anyone else, but by you. There's no way that the leaders of this church can lead effectively without being well led by you. Lord, we thank you that you are a shepherd who leads us. Help us to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.